This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello, everyone. Big crowd tonight. <laughs> uh, my name is Tim Baldwin. I'm here with Andrew Simkin and Amber Pryor. We are um, all three of us are athletic trainers and certified fitter of ortho, um, orthotics at UCSF, working in the orthotics and prosthetics department here. So um, we're spread out between different campuses, um, providing the services to all different campuses. And tonight we're going to talk to you about bracing for acute injury, functional activity, and osteoarthritis of the knee. We have no disclosures. So bracing, um, we're going to talk about acute. When I say acute, I mean that in two different ways. I'm going to talk about acute as far as acute injury. Injury just happened. How would you brace it? What would you do? And then acute as far as post-surgical. So acutely after surgery, what are we fitting to the patient and why? Um, that way you'll have an understanding when I say acute, you don't think just right after the injury. So we're going to talk about what types of braces we use after that. We'll talk about functional bracing. So this is post-acute, and this is when our patients are now returning back to their activities that likely caused this injury, and so we'll talk about the functional bracing we fit them in then, and then we'll go on to osteoarthritis. This is one of the biggest things that we see consistently. It's a huge thing that happens throughout um, all different types of people, whether you're super active or not, so this is a, that's a category that um, has a lot of growth and is continuing to grow right now. So remember when you could call your knee left and right, not good or bad. It seems to be a trend nowadays, and so we really want to talk about the different type of bracing and what we can do to help preserve that bad knee. So for acute injuries, you're going to have ligament, ligamentous-type injuries, fractures, and then surgical and non-surgical. Um, the way I'm going to break this up for you in the acute phase is I'm going to go down different braces and talk about some different pathologies and why we would brace this way. It's too much to get into all the different pathologies that we would use for bracing because we use them for a lot. So mainly I'm just going to give you a brace, some ideas of why we use it, and then some contraindications of when you don't use these types of braces. We'll start off with knee immobilizers. Um, we'll go on to T-scopes or telescoping braces. We'll talk about flexion extension assist braces. Uh, long hinge knee braces, and then patella bracing. So knee immobilizers, the biggest thing that they're meant to do is simply reduce range of motion. We're trying to keep you locked in extension. Um, they come in all different sizes. They'll be anywhere from uh, 14 inches to 24 inches. There are pediatric ones as well. Those sometimes usually have to be custom made because they're these tiny little things to fit tiny little chubby legs. Cutest things you've ever seen, I can tell you that. Um, but the average sizes come anywhere from 14 to 24 inches long. Um, most places only stock one or two different sizes. You're not going to see places that have all the sizes, mainly because these are meant to be a temporary brace, so they're not going to be custom fit to you usually for the most part. Most of them are what are called tri-panel braces, meaning it's a three-part brace held together by Velcro. Velcro holds everything together in the bracing world. So what it is is it's going to have two side panels that allows you to adjust the circumference of the brace to fit thinner and thicker legs. Um, so most of them are a tri-panel. The biggest issues you're always going to see with a knee immobilizer is migration. They're hard to keep up on the leg because they're not custom fit to a leg. Um, so unless you have the perfect shape leg to hold on to one of these things, they tend to slide down, which is why we tend to use them in a temporary phase for short-term relief and use. Um, the other issue is, especially in acute injury, you can have things like swelling. So you can have a very bulbous knee, and you, so you can have odd-shaped legs. And again, with it not being a custom-built thing, it can be hard to suspend at times. So that's usually the biggest issue you see with these types of braces. 
Um, most commonly, it's dispensed in e ERs and EDs. So this is what most EDs are going to put somebody in in a short-term phase before they're referred out to like an orthopedic surgeon. Yes? A sleeve wouldn't be considered a... No, no. A sleeve is mainly for two things, compression and warmth. They don't do anything else. They can tell you it's made with special coppers and crystals and whatever else to align the body and the chi. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. There's no scientific evidence to show you that. But the knee immobilizer is actually, it has a rigid panel, so it actually keeps your knee in extension. Um, like I've said, so most of the time they're disp uh, dispensed in emergency departments and EDs just because they're cheap, they're easy to put on um, for them, and so they're good in a temporary or short-term use. The other time you're really going to see them is post-surgical, and you're going to see it for those people that receive nerve blocks. They put these braces on people that, again, are only going to wear it for a day or two until their nerve block for their surgery wears off, mainly as a protective phase. When the nerve block's on, you're likely to fall due to instability because you can't feel your leg. So they're going to put you in a knee immobilizer to lock you out to give you stability in a short-term phase, but within one or two days you're going to be done with that brace. And they tend to do it with knee immobilizers because they're inexpensive. So it's not expensive to the patient, and it's also not expensive to the people dispensing them. So they're a good short-term use for post-surgical on those types of things. A common surgery that this is used for is a meniscectomy, when they just cut out a part of the uh, meniscus. There's not a lot of healing, there's not a lot of time where you're non-weight-bearing, and there's not a lot of time they're trying to restrict range of motion. They just want it for that time that you have that nerve block going on where you can't feel whichever leg you're having the surgery on. Um, the long-term use, the reason why we don't tend to use these long-term is usually due to uh, muscle atrophy. So you're locked out in an extension phase. You're never bending or extending in these things, so you're not activating muscles the way you should. There's many studies out there that show when you're locked in those extensions for long periods of time without any movement, you atrophy. It's why you don't see casting after ACL surgeries anymore and things like that. Long leg casting is very few and far between used, and it's for very specific cases for that reason. The other thing you worry about with long-term use is skin breakdown. These braces are very, um, they cover the whole skin and the body. They're not very breathable. They try to make them as breathable as possible, but like I said, they're inexpensive, so they're not made out of the super fancy wicking materials and things like that. So they can cause a lot of um, moisture inside that brace, and that can lead to a lot of skin breakdown if the brace is shifting up and down the leg throughout the day and things like that. So another big reason why they're not using them in long-term use. And then, like I said, they're good for acute knee injuries when the patient can get to full extension. The other thing you worry about a lot, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, is if a patient can't get to full extension. And when we get to the red flags um, slide, I'll tell you why that's a big issue with knee immobilizers and not getting to full extension. But that's your general knee immobilizer. It's a pretty simple acute injury brace. Um, and like I said, it, the biggest thing is it's inexpensive for everyone, so everyone usually has them on hand to dispense. Now we move up a stage. So this is what I call the gold standard of range of motion bracing. So this is a T-scope or a telescoping brace. The biggest thing about this is you're allowed to lock and unlock, and you can control range of motions throughout full extension and flexion. So the reason why you're using this, most of the time you're putting your post-op patients in this. So in ACL surgery, you're limiting range of motion for the first two weeks, and then usually after two weeks they're starting physical therapy where they're allowed 30 degrees of flexion. Well, you can put stoppers in these braces and move it so that you can only bend within 30 degrees. So what it does is it provides a safety to the patient so that they can't overdo what the doctor wants them to do, or the physical therapist. They can't go beyond where they've been told either. Um, so it creates, it, it creates a very good um, control for that range of motion. 
It also allows you to lock. So mainly that's for stability. A lot of these people are allowed to weight bear early in their rehab but aren't allowed to bend early in their rehab. Therefore, if you lock them out in extension, you give them a stable knee to walk on out in public. But when they go to sit in a car, they can unlock for comfort, which is really nice because they're allowed that 30 degrees or 90 degrees of flexion. They're a brace that I say, what I call them is a one-size-fits-nobody. These braces are meant to fit everybody from 5 feet 100 pounds to 6 foot 8, 380 pounds. That's the adjustability of these things. So it's a one-size-fits-nobody because it's really not custom-built for any one person. So you really have to know what you're doing as far as adjusting these braces to get them to sit properly on the leg to stay suspended. There's tricks that we'll talk about a little bit later as well of how you keep that suspended and do that. Um, but that's the biggest thing that you're going to have issues. They're much better for long-term use. Um, there are closed-off ones where you can get full foam coverage. Most people don't use those. It's rare that you'll see those handed out. So most of them are very open. It's just the straps and the frame on the side. Um, it's in that first slide, the picture on that first slide. It's the one that's all open on the brace. And so that allows it to breathe. It allows it to be wearable long term without causing a lot of like those skin irritations that we talk about. The other thing is um, it can be used for a lot of different types of injuries. So it can be uh, modified and altered in a lot of different ways. If you have a PCL injury in the knee, you can provide a bolster in the back to prevent the tibia from translating on the femur. If you have an MCL or LCL injury, you can mold the brace to give support in those directions to support those healing ligaments if they're not surgical. Um, and then uh, you can adjust, like I said, the height and the um, circumference of it as well to make it more fit to much more uh, larger population. Um, most acute injuries, you're going to lock them out in extension. So most acute injuries, you have instability, especially like an ACL tear or something like that. So we want to lock them for stability when they're up and moving. But we don't want to limit them from being able to walk on a lot of those acute injuries. Now, there are some that you don't want them weight-bearing, and we'll talk about those later as well. But um, for the most part, it gives you that ability to progress rehab very early, in which many studies have shown with the knee, the earlier you can start rehab, the better the recovery and the quicker the recovery. So we tend to give them these braces so that we can progress rehab much sooner than if we put them in a t-scope the one thing i tell everybody and this is the one i tell that I, I stress to everyone the straps are always adjustable on these things as far as they can be cut to be shorter do not ever cut straps on a brace unless you absolutely have to you never know when you're going to need an extra strap length and i can tell you right now no insurance is going to pay for a second 900 brace because you cut a strap too short <laughs> so unless you're really good at sewing and you can add strap length back don't cut the straps on these things they can always wrap around or be modified without actually cutting them um, i slap pt's hands all the times for doing this so i make sure that we don't do that but that no, so you can use this acutely as well. So if you have an acute injury, um, like fractures and things like that, patellar, uh, patella issues as far as if you have ruptures of tendons, where you want somebody locked in extension, but you want to begin rehab very early, but they're non-operative, you would put them in a brace like this because they can wear it long term, but you can protect the joint at the same time to reduce any further injury. So that's the big reason that we put them in this. Um, let me make sure I didn't miss anything of that. 
Um, and it also allows for um, uh, pre-rehab, so rehab prior to surgery. Most surgeons want, for depending on the injury, but most injuries, they want full range of motion prior to surgery. The more range of motion you go in with and strength, the better you come out of surgery. So a lot of times this brace allows you to start that rehab early so that before they even have surgery, they're going in at the best possible way that they can prior to that surgery. So that's always a big one I point out to everyone. Um, the other reason we fit these braces and the justifications that we use is they did a study on 300 people that tore their ACL. Out of those 300 people, 256 felt unstable or were unstable clinically, meaning that they are now at risk to do further damage to their knee, like tear a meniscus that maybe hasn't been torn, ruptured, the MCL that isn't ruptured. And now you're looking at more complex things that you have to deal with. So we put them in these braces to help prevent other injury as well as protect the current injury. So that's a big thing that we talk to a little with a lot of our patients. From there, another injury we look at is flexion extension assist. So these braces aren't used a ton acutely, but they are used at times. There's very specific injuries that you'll see this for. Mainly it has to do with quadriceps injuries or hamstring injuries, and these are usually full ruptures. So the issue is, is after surgery, the patient needs assistance getting their leg to extend or flex due to that surgical site because you don't want to stress a freshly repaired hamstring or a freshly repaired quadriceps. So these flexion extension braces help you gain those motions back without stressing the muscle as much and stressing those suture points and those attachments. Now, they're usually used in rehab more often than post-surgery, um, but they can be. They usually come in two different ways. They can have a motorized unit in that hinge that you can set certain parameters to to help with that. Those are incredibly expensive. They're hard to get um, through insurance, so we don't use them a ton, but they are out there. Um, otherwise, they're usually spring-assisted on the inside, and you can control the tension of the spring to help with that flexion or extension assist. Um, they're usually used for contractures a lot. That's where you'll see it as well. A lot of them are custom made because they need to fit the leg a certain way in order to really assist with those motions. Um, so that you don't see them a lot. They are out there. I think there's a lot of research going into this area. There's a lot of research being done on flexion extension assist for different body parts for different reasons. But I think this field will eventually become very useful. But at this point in time, it's more of a R&D than it is a actual use in clinic. So it's not something you see a ton right now. So I don't talk too much about that one. Next one is long hinged knee braces. So you can usually, most of them come in black, so you can design them however you want. People do love that. Um, we're using this usually for MCL injuries. So it's usually when you don't have complete ruptures of a ligament. You have partial, and the MCL is one of the few ligaments in the knee that actually heals very well on its own if you support it and brace it. Um, there's multiple studies that show bracing is just as effective as a lot of surgical techniques um, as far as the MCL healing, and you never have to go under the knife, which is nice. Um, there, we say long hinge knee braces. So if you go to a sports store or CVS, you'll see a hinge knee brace. Most of the times those are a little weaker and the hinges are shorter, usually only about four inches long in each direction. Um, you don't have enough leverage to really make a difference in that for these types of injuries. So when we say long hinge, you're usually looking at a hinge that's about 12 inches in length in total, at least six inches above and below the knee center. Um, they're usually made out of a little bit stronger materials, um, tempered aluminums or tempered plastics that are actually very very rigid and strong. And we do this and sometimes we'll mold it to help actually support one of those, the inside or outside ligaments, the MCL or LCL of the knee. Most of the time surgery isn't needed. So, you know, you're billing insurance for a brace rather than a $15,000 surgery, which is nice. So it's easier to do that. We usually don't limit range of motions in a lot of these unless it's a grade three, a complete rupture of the MCL where you really need to immobilize the knee to heal it. 
Um, but it allows a patient to get back to activity a lot quicker. It allows them to not miss a lot of things a lot quicker just by bracing. And most of the time, these braces are only worn between three and eight weeks. The studies show somewhere in there. Um, there was one study of, I think it was 125 soccer players, and they said 23 days is the, the ideal time of bracing for an MCL injury before you return them back to full activity. Um, obviously, it depends on the patient. Nobody's the same. Nobody heals the same. However, it is something that um, we do look to promote as far as rather than going and having surgery, you can get a long hinged knee brace that stabilizes and supports, and then they're good there. We do also tell patients this is a brace you wear 24-7, unfortunately, including bed. A lot of these braces you wear in bed. Reason being, you don't know what you do when you sleep, and so you're much more of a danger to yourself at night than you ever are when you're awake because you are not conscious of your movements or things. You catch your foot in the sheet, you get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, and you forget you have an injury, which happens. Um, so a lot of these braces are worn 24-7 except for bathing and then taken off just for bathing. I also tell everybody when you bathe with an injured lower extremity, please sit. Standing on one leg with soap usually means you come back for with wrist and head injuries to us. Granted, I love your business, thank you, but I don't want to see you again for these things. So um, just a little tidbit that I always throw into everybody when I see my patients. Um, and then they've done a lot of long-term studies with bracing on MCLs. They did a five-year study that showed um, after bracing on a grade one or two, 100% were back to full activity, and 98% had little to no symptoms at all in their knee post-bracing. So it's a very effective way to manage a um, ligamentous injury without having to have surgery. The last brace I'll be talking to you about is patella bracing, and I'm talking about a, an acute patella dislocation, not long-term or chronic issues. Um, we tend to fit what's called a PTO brace, a patella stabilizing brace. Um, most of them are going to have a lateral wall border, considering that um, the large majority of patella dislocations go laterally, not medially, so they go to the outside, not the inside. Um, they usually have a strong lateral hold, plastic, or very thick, heavy material on the inside. Most of these are um, adjustable. You can actually adjust where that bolster goes in a lot of these um, because some people may dislocate in other directions, so you can adjust it based off what the patient needs. They do show in a lot of studies that you are unstable post or acutely after a patella dislocation. However, um, Bracing is shown to be very effective as long as there's no fractures or tears of anything from the dislocation to be just as effective as surgical um, as far as getting the patient back to activity and reducing the risk of re-tears or re-dislocations. Now, a lot of studies vary on this as far as um, how likely you are to re-dislocate a patella after an, after an acute patella injury. Most studies say if you're a female between the ages of 17 and 65, you're going to re-dislocate. Um, but again, that varies. Uh, men, you're still likely to re-dislocate, but again, that varies. So um, there's no real good study to say we do this so that you don't dislocate again. However, the idea is that by bracing and stabilizing and allowing everything to heal back up, um, most of the time you tend to be just fine after re-dislocation. The older you are for an acute dislocation, the less likely you are, though, to re-dislocate. So this is, a lot of times this is our younger population, our pediatric population, somewhere between the ages of probably 12 and 18, very active people. Um, they're hard to control, so you need to do something for them, but you can't completely limit them because they just don't have the attention span to be limited. So bracing tends to be a very good option, and if you can give them a strong, sturdy bolster and a strong, sturdy brace to hold that patella in place, it really does make a difference in that acute phase of healing. So um, it's something that we use quite a bit. 
Now we do have some red flags with some of these acute bracings and what you're allowed to do. Like I said, most of them we're giving you so that you can um, begin rehab and begin range of motion early in your care because it tends to show better results as far as your overall healing and what you're able to accomplish later. Now there are times that you don't want to use these braces or that they can be contraindicated. Knee immobilizer is the biggest one that we always say is if you can't get to full extension, mainly because if you can't completely straighten your leg and we put you in a brace that kind of lets you sit in that semi-flexion, that semi-bent knee, you're likely to develop a contracture if you're in it for a long period of time. So now not only did you have an acute knee injury, now you can't straighten your leg anyways and they have to go in and do you know more intense rehab. Long term, if people are end up in these, because there are people that just don't come in for care right away after going to an emergency department, it's been eight weeks later and they finally come to see an orthopedist because their knee isn't getting better and now you have this contracture sometimes that that ends up being your actual surgery is a contracture release rather than um, dealing with the acute injury that was the issue to begin with so if you can't get to full extension we don't suggest putting people in a knee immobilizer just because you can't work on that extension in that brace Again, long-term use, mainly due to skin breakdown. A lot of the patients that are being put in knee immobilizers are elderly patients for falls under the knee, patella fractures, things like that. They go to the ED, they get put in a knee immobilizer, and then they're referred out to an orthopedist. Um, so they tend to have frailer skin. So that long-term use really does become a danger for things like ulcers and infection because of the wear down of the leg. For T-scope, the biggest thing that we're going to tell you is you just have to be careful with your range of motion and know that you can rule out a fracture. Most patella fractures are fractures in the knee. You're not going to give them range of motion early. You may give them weight-bearing, but you're not going to give them range of motion. So, again, average fracture is six to eight weeks to heal, so they're going to be in this long term. So you still want to use a T-scope, but you have to realize you're not going to open their range of motion up. You're going to lock them in extension for an extended amount of time until that fracture shows healing. With the long hinge knee braces, you just have to be careful to make sure that there isn't other ligamentous injury. So you may think it's an isolated MCL and you put them in this brace and let them go out and be a little more active as long as they're braced, but they actually had an ACL tear and you didn't diagnose it or it wasn't diagnosed. Um, so you just got to make sure to rule out all your other issues within the knee and, and know exactly what you're treating. You know, it's very specific bracing that we're using that for, not other ligamentous injuries. So you want to make sure the knee is at least somewhat stable, not completely unstable and think that this brace will suffice. And patella bracing, you just have to rule out fracture. Patella bracing does not substitute um, for patella fractures. So you can evolve the tendon off the bone when you dislocate. You can fracture the patella. You can fracture parts of the tibia or the fibula or even the femur on these types of dislocations. So you just have to rule those things out because it is a different type of care that you're going to receive um, for those types of injuries rather than um, the, uh, the patella bracing where you're just trying to support and reduce or prevent re-dislocation. Adjusting the brace isn't always the easiest thing. We always tell our patients, just come back and see us. Don't make your life difficult. <laughs> you're probably going to screw it up more than you're going to help yourself. I have seen people screw braces up to the point where I didn't even know what they did, and I had to look at the directions. So come back and see people that know how to adjust it. However, there are small things that you shouldn't be able to know how to do. For the T-scope, you just have to make sure all of them can tighten both on the backside and the top of the leg. So they tighten in two places, and that's to help keep the brace parallel because you want the hinge and the brace to sit parallel on the leg. So you always want to make sure that you know how to adjust both the back strap and the top strap of a T-scope. Um, you want to, and then you want it as tight as possible. Patients always think that we're cutting off the circulation to their leg. We're not. Trust me, it'll feel tight. It needs to feel tight. Otherwise, it doesn't stay on your leg well. 
if there are the people that have that really cone-shaped leg and no matter how tight you pull this thing, they just don't have the calves to hold it up, these arms actually do extend all the way down to the ankle, which is nice. The only thing you have to worry about is skin breakdown down towards the ankle because it's going to bear some of the weight of the brace. Um, you can also add shoe plates to some of these T-scopes so that it suspends in the shoe rather than on the actual ankles. Um, so there are adjustments for these types of things. If you're having problems, always go back and see the appropriate people to make these adjustments. For knee immobilizers, it's mainly mainly just the side panels. They're very, inter you can really move these things around on that tri-panel. Um, so it's just adjusting it to where you still have the patella showing in the knee, but you're not um, suffocating the knee or the brace isn't three quarters open when they're trying to tighten it down. Um, so it makes it pretty easy to adjust. And you just want your closure straps done. There's usually a strap that can go over the kneecap um, just to cover it. And so there's usually a pad that goes behind the knee as well. It goes in the popliteal fossa and that's to help provide support back there for when you're weight bearing through the brace. For long hinge knee braces, you can put molds on them. Like I said, you can actually usually bend those hinges. Most of the time they're done in clinic with bending irons and things like that. Or if they're the tempered plastics, you actually have to heat them and mold them. Um, so make sure a professional's doing that because you don't want to do that improperly. Um, but you can mold these braces to give support in, in certain directions to provide more and less in one direction or another. Um, they can have popliteal opens. Again, the back of the knee can have openings. Those can be irritating to some patients. You can always cut those just to release the, release the tension. Um, and then you can put range of motion stoppers in these braces. Most of these braces, you can actually put stoppers in the hinge to only allow certain ranges of motion if you need to. Most people, you want full range of motion, but not always. So you, at least you have that ability to do that. And the patella bracing is just sometimes you have to adjust that bolster for the most part of where it's going and which direction you're really trying to support it. Um, some of the braces have finger loops to help don and off them to help get the brace on and off because dexterity can be an issue for people. Um, so, again, go back, see the professional, have them sew in some finger loops to make it easier for you to pull the brace on and off. The patella bracings are always almost slide-on braces, not wrap-around braces, because you need the control of that patella. Depends on what's going on with the patient and what direction you're limiting. If you're usually limiting to where they can't straighten the leg all the way, you're usually going to need some form of assistive device because they're going to be off-centered as far as they're walking. So you may issue a cane or a crutch or crutches or a walker, whatever's necessary. If they have full extension and you're mainly limiting flexion, normally you don't need that extra assistive device unless they feel unstable or they feel like the pain is too much to fully weight bear through. Then you would add those things on. And now Amber will tell you about functional bracing. Tim talked about some of the acute injuries in bracing that we do. So I'm going to talk more about um, after the injury, what happens, and if it's a surgical procedure you need to get done and rehab, and then what bracing we do after that. Um, a little bit of background on functional bracing. So both functional and prophylactic knee bracing objectives are to allow normal joint kinematics while limiting unwanted displacements and rotations between the tibia and femur that might produce an intraarticular injury or strain in a healing ligament or graft. So that kind of just means the brace is going to limit some of that movement that the different um, bones that make up the knee joint, so it won't cause as, um, it'll limit the movement, so it won't cause as much injury. Um, both off-the-shelf and custom bracing designs have been proven to significantly reduce ACL strain. Um, this with the ACL strain, it limits the anterior direct load. So again, it's with the bones in the joint, it'll limit the movement on the ligaments in there. So, uh, and then functional knee bracing can also reduce the abnormal 
anterior posterior laxity of ACL deficient knee within normal limits during non-weight bearing and weight bearing activities, meaning that the brace helps when you're active and not active, so walking or even if you're during activity, like a sporting activity. Um, I just wanted to throw this disclaimer in there that bracing does not prevent ACL injuries or ligament injuries from occurring, but it can reduce the severity of the injury. So Tim mentioned uh, MCL injuries. So when you do have an injury to the knee joint, the brace, so an MCL brace will help limit um, the direct force that gets hit to the joint. It reduces that amount of lateral load that's on the knee joint. So it helps limit the MCL impact or injury. Okay, so I'm gonna start talking about the reduction of re-injury with bracing. Um, so studies have shown that utilizing the prophylactic bracing helps, in, um, it's increased, it's beneficial to limiting the injury. Um, possible, so this is possible from the possibility of being out for a day versus uh, uh, the whole season. So this is more sports related. So within the first 12 months, the brace helps to complete, uh, to help give graft protection in the higher rate of, um, during this time. The literature and reoccurrence happens um, due to low outcome scores, so this could possibly be the patient's physiological um, issues, uh, the, the activity level, so if they're a high level athlete, they can re-injure, and also um, being female. So the females, uh, that we're recorded to have a higher percentage of retear um, compared to our male counterparts. Uh, some of these factors are like the Q angle, so the hip to knee ratio, um, landing biomechanics and neuromuscular control differences. Uh, so this is more so when um, we have bad mechanics during sports, so cutting activities and landing in that. Um, also hormones, so women uh, have menstrual cycles, so that kind of um adds into that. Um, so once you're post-surgery, you are going into rehab and getting your function back. So you're working on muscular um, growth and getting your range of motion. So at this point, um, the, the brace is introduced. Once you've sufficiently recovered um, your strength and it addresses the um, assisting with the protection of the graft, like we said, um, which will limit the unwanted displacement and rotation between the tibia and fibula. The reassurance with joint stability. A lot of this time, uh, more of the research is done on um, elite athletes, so someone who's very highly active. So the reassurance for joint stability is more for the average worker who's um, moving around during their day, picking up things, pivoting. So the brace helps give them a little bit more um, stability for those. Um, so a lot of the studies show that the athletes who um, wear braces after they've had their reconstructive surgery um, have fewer reoccurrent knee injuries because of um, these limiting factors. So these are a couple of the different styles of ACL braces that there are, that are out there. Um, they do come custom to a patient, so if there's specific 
landmarks or adjustments that need to be made per this patient specific, we can do that. Common concerns are, does the brace cause muscle atrophy? And that's um, reverting back to like the rehab talk. Your, your goals are to get the musculature back and your range of motion before you actually go into an ACL brace. So you're already at least 80% to your non-injured limb. So by the time you put the brace on, you're pretty functional and the brace shouldn't deter that. So the brace is helping to support, um, to give protection to the ligaments. So you've had your ACL repair, so the brace is helping support that knee joint. So again, it, it's going to limit those um, disruptive factors. So if you're back into activity, so oh, you're, it's limiting. Yep. Um, so the only, during, uh, one of the studies says that the only limiting the muscle is the VMO, but I mean that, um, it's not detrimental to where it hinders you from performance or in or out of the brace. Um, so that goes into adverse performance effects. Uh, although that's somewhat of a, uh, a myth as well, the studies include increased wear. Um, they say increased wear causes fatigue. Um, but if, if the person is involved in increased activities, that could also be the factor to some of their fatigue. So if you're working out really hard and you're already in the brace, so it, there's no way to determine if it was your burnout from the activity or because you're in the brace. Um, the brace does limit some motion, but that's, again, a protective feature so that you're not putting too much stress on the ligament. Um, consistent wear, so the frequency or the long-term wear of the brace depends on the, you want to discuss with your physician and the patient goals, so what is your end goal for, if you're returning back to a daily work or if you're turning, returning back to um, sports-specific um, type activities. So that should be discussed, and then you can also the brace isn't detrimental to wear long-term, so it's not going to cause any lasting effects. It's there to help. Thank you, Amber. Uh, so basically, when an acute problem becomes a, a chronic problem, uh, from what Amber was uh, chatting about, when you have an injury, you actually have some other problems that can go along with that injury. Uh, you actually have a lot of movement that happens with an injury. Uh, so say you tear your ACL. Uh, there is movement within the knee, uh, so that anterior translation of the tibia on the femur uh, can cause kind of that joint surface to wear down. Uh, and usually when that joint surface wears down, first thing that we really notice is pain. And so what I'm going to talk about is unloader bracing and really just kind of dives into the realm of osteoarthritis. Uh, and so really this is just the wearing down of the joint cartilage inside the knee. Uh, there's really no cure for this, uh, and it really affects a vast, vast majority of our population. Uh, even if you don't have knee pain, you could still have knee swelling. So you're moving around, you go on a hike, you come back, you don't notice anything, but then the next day you feel real stiff. Could also be leading, you know, a cause of arthritis. Just that, that swelling of the knee joint, it's getting inflamed um, 
because where that cartilage is worn away, you're actually grinding on parts of the bone which are underneath that cartilage, and that's usually what elicits the pain. With uh, osteoarthritis bracing, with unloader bracing, the, really the question is, you know, how much pain can you tolerate? Uh, you know, that's part of the game with the, uh, with the unloader braces is, you know, can you tolerate the pressure from the brace versus the actual pain inside the knee? Uh, and so when you do have knee pain, where does osteoarthritis bracing fit in? A lot of times patients will first try a knee sleeve when they'll come in. Um, you know, they notice the knee swelling up on them. They want to try a little support. So they'll put on a knee sleeve and see if, uh, see if that helps. A lot of times that won't actually help with the actual pain that they're feeling. It may give them that sense of kind of that comfort and feeling like they do have a little bit more support. Uh, however, the actual knee pain of the grinding inside the knee joint um, usually a brace or a soft sleeve uh, can't address that. Uh, there are different stages of osteoarthritis. Uh, it goes kind of all the way from mild all the way up to severe. Uh, and really, patients, that, that doesn't really correlate with uh, pain, your pain. So you could have a doubtful, mild-stage arthritis, uh, you know, osteoarthritis in the knee, and have the worst pain ever. You know, you can come in saying it's a 9 out of 10, I'm jumping up out of the seat every time I move or, you know, I sit down um, or move around. On the contrary, you can, on the other side, you can have a patient come in with severe arthritis. You look at their x-ray, it's bone on bone. Those two bones are pretty much touching on one side. Uh, but they're saying, hey, I don't have any pain. I'm fine. I'm moving around. I have no issues. Uh, so really what we relate this to is pain. Uh, so I always say it's almost a good thing, I hate to say this, um, but it's a good thing with patients when they come in with pain, with a knee, uh, in the knee, and they're coming in for an unloader brace. Because one of the things with the unloader braces is it's a pain-relieving knee brace. So we want to see if we can alleviate that pain with this brace. And that's one of my personal favorite uh, uh, braces to fit in this profession. Um, if I can help patients alleviate their pain, get them more functional, uh, I really, really enjoy doing that. Uh, what was that kind of bracing? Uh, so this is unloader bracing. Uh, offloader, unloader bracing. So really bracing, it's a conservative, non-invasive method. Uh, and really doctors enjoy this, or they don't really enjoy it, but I would say they use this as one of their, kind of their first lines of defense uh, before surgery. You know, because that's really what, what what the end stage of osteoarthritis is, you wear down that joint so far, so much, that you need surgery. And the surgery typically would relate uh, to a knee replacement. Uh, but before that, doctors can prescribe a knee brace, uh, either a hinge knee brace, like our, my colleagues had discussed, or an unloader knee brace. Uh, and really, it's a great non-invasive treatment. You know, it's something that's not really, it's, it's reversible. You know, unlike a knee replacement surgery, you have knee replacement surgery, and you say, you know, ah, you know what, I still don't have the whole you know, function that I wanted. I want to go back to my old knee. Can you put it all back in? They can't do that, not yet at least. Um, so the arthrit arthritis bracing, it's a great conservative method to try before surgery. Um, so the big thing uh, that we get when, we, when patients come in with these braces is how to use them. Uh, and with an arthritis bracing, unloader bracing, I call it pretty much a double-edged sword. Um, patients have to get used to, number one, a brand-new brace that we're putting onto the knee. So that's the first thing. Just like with all the other bracing, they have to get used to that brace, the feeling of something else on their knee. Two, they have to get used to the pressure. These unloader braces elicit a pressure onto the knee because, if you think about it, we're trying to unload one side of a joint. How can we do that? We can't do it unless we push on the knee joint. 
Uh, and so the only braces, they, do, they have different pressure systems. For most of my patients, I actually tell them when I fit the brace initially, I don't even put any of the load on. I want them to get used to the brace for the first week, couple days, really kind of just get the feeling of, of having something on their knee. As they feel more and more comfortable with the brace, we start low and go slow. So start low on the settings, which means it's not going to be putting a lot of pressure onto the knee. It's not trying to create too much space in the knee. And then as you feel comfortable, start increasing the settings. Uh, and the goal isn't to get to the top highest setting on the brace. The goal is comfort. I want you to be comfortable. We want the comfort, we want that pain to go down. So that's the goal. As you increase the settings, your pain should go down. Uh, so really, you just want to find your optimal setting, uh, and it may take a little bit to find it. I, t I tell patients it can take upwards of a month. Um, and really, I want you to go slow. The biggest thing that patients come back with us is they feel the pressure on their knee is creating like a bruise. And in theory, it probably is because you have to have that pressure. Uh, and so I always tell my patients to keep a pain journal. Really, keep, keep a log of how you're feeling each day, how long you're wearing the brace, and what setting you're wearing the brace on, and how much pain you have while wearing the brace. If you do this, you can try all the different settings on the brace, keep a log for two or three weeks, and then after two or three weeks, you look back at your log and say, well, you go down your pain journal and find the lowest pain score, go over to that brace setting and say, well, this setting made me feel the most comfortable. Let me dial it back to that setting, and that should give you the most relief. Uh, so it's just a way of patients to kind of, kind of keep in mind and keep engaged in the action. Um, and I found patients really tend to enjoy that. Uh, you know, really, it's just, you know, the other thing is if you don't want to keep going uh, in terms of the unloading settings, I always say you can stop if you don't have any pain. You know, the goal is, you know, you come in with 5 out of 10 pain. You try, we start you off on the lowest setting of this brace. And we, as you go up, your pain starts to go down. Say you hit the middle in terms of the brace, if it goes in terms of pressure, say 1 through 10. If you're in the middle around that 5 range of pressure, where you still can go more in terms of more push on the knee, if you don't have pain at that setting, I always say, could you go even further? Or could, why not? Could you feel even better than you do now? You feel amazing at setting number 5. Could you feel even better at setting number 6? And that's the thing with unloader bracings. It's a trial and error system. We don't know how you'll feel at each setting until you try each setting. And so I really stress that with patients. You know, even if you feel great at setting number one, when you just start out with the brace, keep going. Keep trying those other settings because you could feel even better. And patients really, you know, when I say that, they tend to get the, ooh, all right, you know, let me keep going. But again, I relate that back to let's go slow. We don't want to go too fast. When you go too fast, you get wounds on the side. I've had patients that come back with a wound where it's actually bleeding from the pressure on the side of their knee, where you have to stop the use of the brace, allow that to heal, and then, again, slowly start to add the pressure back up and up. Um, I use it, kind of the analogy of, you know, you almost want to build up a callus on the outside of the knee to accept that pressure. Um, you know, I use the same analogy as a pair of running shoes. You're not going to run a marathon in a brand-new pair of running shoes. You want to break those running shoes in. If you do run a marathon in a brand-new pair of shoes, you're going to get skin irritation, blisters, breakdown. You're not going to like it. It's not going to be any fun. Same concept with the brace. You don't just want to wear the brace for 10, 12 hours a day, wear it for a marathon. You're going to get skin irritation and breakdown. So you really want to wear it slowly, progress into it, you know, wear it for an hour, hour today, hour and a half later on today, maybe, not, maybe two hours tomorrow, and really start building that up. You know, I always tell patients, if you want to wear this all day long, you can, but start building yourself up to that.
So with unloading braces, uh, there's really two ways that you can unload the knee. You can either push the knee or you can pull the knee, and that's in relation to the knee joint. So on the uh, first slide here, so this one's a pulling style of a brace. So you're actually going to have pressure coming from this side of the knee, and these two straps here are actually pulling this joint open here. And so this is pulling the medial side of that joint open. You can see it's closed here. And then as this brace pulls that joint open, you can see the more space created in that x-ray. And so in theory, that's what should alleviate the pain. And so with this style of a brace, if you have a lateral, uh, so say you needed pain or you have pain on this side of the knee on the outside, we like to use this style of a brace because it puts this hinge on the same side of the affected uh, joint. And so a lot of times if you do that same concept with this pushing style of a brace, if you push from the inside of the knee to unload the outside compartment, it adds a big hinge on the inside of the knee and you can knock your other knee and it can come in, the brace can come in contact with the opposite leg uh, and not be comfortable whatsoever. Um, but the other style of brace is a push style. This is probably the more common style of bracing or of another bracing. Uh, really, it's basically a screw mechanism on the outside of the knee. As you turn a screw mechanism, it'll unload and basically create and push, uh, creating a three-point pressure system. Um, so a lot of times patients will say that when they come back in, they'll feel pressure here on the side of the knee, and then they'll also feel pressure on the top and bottom on the opposite sides. And so again, we're using that as kind of bending a stick. We're using that three points of pressure system. Uh, style of unloader braces. So this is the other kind of bread and butter of our world. Uh, you know, is there double upright or single upright? Meaning upright referring to hinges or metal frames on the side. So you can see over here, single upright. They're more meant for the more uh, mild, uh, moderate stages of arthritis. Uh, you know, they're smaller in size. These are actually very popular uh, nowadays. Uh, you know, patients tend to like these. They're a lot more compliant wearing these styles of braces, mainly because they can fit under a lot of uh, different types of clothing. Uh, you don't have to go out and buy a whole new wardrobe uh, to fit a specific brace. Uh, the other ones, double upright. This one can go all the way mild, moderate to severe arthritis. Uh, they're larger in size, uh, but they're more meant for you know, all activity levels. It's not something to where you're just going to go out and you know, we'll go for a walk in. Uh, this is something that you're going to go out, play some tennis, uh, play golf, you know, get back on the field and have some fun with the grandkids, uh, anything like that. The double upright also adds in the stability of the knee. Uh, so if there's any ligamentous injuries, you can go with the double upright and you can actually help to stabilize the knee while you're unloading the knee joint. Uh, so this is something that I've always been uh, intrigued about, especially when you have an ACL injury. Uh, there's been studies to show the vast majority of patients following an ACL injury have some type of medial compartment wear, um, basically the early stages of arthritis. And so I'm very curious on to following those athletes through their lifespan. And if they have any arthritis or if they're more prone to arthritis, should we be bracing them at an earlier age with an unloader and ACL protective style of a brace? Uh, so just some, some kind of a food for thought. Uh, some new bracing technology that's out there uh, is the Spreg Duo design. So this is actually the only dual upright, uh, meaning two hinges, dynamic unloader brace on the market today. Uh, so that means it basically turns on when you need it and turns off when you don't. So when you need an unloader brace is when you're standing, when you're weight-bearing, when you're moving around. That's typically when you have the, that arthritis, that joint space is collapsed, you're compressing that, gravity's pulling the joints together or the bones together, and that's where you get that grinding of the knee. 
so typically you don't have that when you're sitting down or lying down because you're non-weight-bearing. With this type of a brace, uh, it actually has a little cam mechanism inside the hinge, and it'll actually turn on when you, excuse me, when you go from 30 degrees of extension uh, or from flexion into extension. Uh, so that means from when you sit down to stand up, it'll actually turn on and turn off and turn on and turn off. So patients tend to love this because they don't always feel like it's pushing on the knee. So again, the biggest complaint that we have when patients come back is that pressure. It's pushing too much. It's, it's hurting my outside of the knee on the other side where all my pain is. And so with this type of a brace, it actually does not push on that area when it's not needed or when you're sitting down or past 30 degrees of flexion. Uh, so this is kind of a great, uh, great new technology that we've started to use here at UCSF. Uh, Patients tend to love it, very patient-friendly. It also employs clips if you have any dexterity issues. Um, so that way it takes all the guesswork out of the Velcro sizing. Patients aren't sure, you know, okay, how tight should I do this on a daily basis? When they come into our clinic, we fit it. We tell them, okay, all you have to do now is clip, 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 clip. They look at me like, what? I don't have to do Velcro? This is awesome. Um, and so patients really tend to like it, uh, very patient-friendly. Um, so just a great brace that we tend to uh, have a lot of patient satisfaction with. Uh, so kind of another, you know, little slide here, you know, you know, again, bracing does work. However, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone in terms of arthritis bracing. Um, you know, the ligaments of the knee could just be too tight to where it just doesn't want to allow the joint to open. Body weight, you can be a little bit more overweight to where you have more forces, gravity compressing that knee joint. Um, you know, so, you know, the knee brace should help, but honestly, not even sure if we have knees, you know, so that's just something that I found humorous. Uh, just a little joke there. Uh, and uh, we do have some references. So uh, we'll now take any questions. Absolutely. And so that's one of the things uh, doctors encourage is using an unloader brace prior to knee replacement surgery to basically try and delay surgery. We want to see how long we can delay it. Million-dollar question, my man. It's really up to you. How much pain can you tolerate? We've had patients that are scheduled for knee replacement surgery in a few months. We put them into a knee, a knee brace. It drops their pain down to a tolerable level. They cancel knee replacement surgery because they're now saying, you know what, I can tolerate this knee pain. I'm more functional. I'm going to go out and do the activities that I love to do. And the true answer is indefinitely. Oh, okay. there, there, is, there is no timeline on it. Yeah. Uh, there is no timeline on it, mainly meaning we've had patients that have surgery scheduled for six months and no matter what, they're doing a knee replacement. So they're using the brace to advance their rehab, advance their health, maybe lose some weight prior to surgery, things like that. And then I still have patients that eight years later are still in their knee brace. They love their knee brace. They get it refurbished or they get a new one, however often insurance allows. And they've indefinitely avoided knee replacement because they don't want it. They don't want to have surgery. And so the, it's just, are you willing to wear the brace forever or not? I have people doing black diamond skiing in these braces. I have people hiking Kilimanjaro in these braces. Um, so yes, it, yeah, or, at, or ACL braces, depending on what your issue is and what your activity is. Yeah, osteoarthritis, you're unloading. The ACL functional brace or the other braces in the acute phases aren't necessarily meant for those um, types of issues. Now, you would use maybe the knee immobilizer after total knee replacement or a T-scope, depending on how, what your surgery was. Um, but the unloader bracing is, is for those patients um, that are doing those activities with osteoarthritis. But we have people skiing black diamonds. I had a lady hike Kilimanjaro in one um, because her knee had the amount of relief it needed to tolerate that. So... 
So, the, yeah, the question is, is whether or not you need or how do you diagnose OA. Uh, osteoarthritis is diagnosed through x-ray. Um, depending on what they may look at, you may get a CT or an MRI based off of if they're trying to determine um, is their cartilage salvageable in there, um, your bone density, things like that. So um, those things, when they're looking at surgery, they may do other imaging, but techni- or usually x-rays are enough for most patients. Uh, so the question is my recommendations on injections. I'm not going to recommend on that because I'm not a physician. However, um, studies in general show that, um, like bracing, injections can be finicky. Um, you could have a cortisone injection, and it could work for five years. You could have a cortisone injection, and it works for one week. Um, they do do stuff called viscosupplementation as well. That's where they're pretty much putting a, a lube inside your knee practically. Um, again, same thing. You can have amazing results with it. You can have no results with it. Um, so as long as your doctor determines it's safe, um, it's obviously an option. And a lot of our patients that we put in bracing for OA have had an injection and brace on top of it. So they're trying to get maximum relief in that knee, um, depending on what their goals are. Sure. So the question is, is, you know, what's the whole process of this? Um, for our clinic, we're lucky. Most of our referrals are internal. So most of our doctors are referring to us because we work here at the university. So um, we're part of the system, per se. Uh, in general, um, if you're seeing an outside source or a place that doesn't have an orthotics and prosthetics department built into their hospital or their private clinic, um, there are national clinics um, that are all over that are their own independent buildings for orthotics and prosthetics. So mainly you receive a prescription that, say it's for arthritis, say it's for osteoarthritis. You would be diagnosed with osteoarthritis by your doctor. After that, you would then either say if you were here, you, they would likely refer you straight to us into our department. Um, if it was an outside source, they'd say, hey, there is a hangar clinic down the street or a pac med clinic or a mom-and-pop shop named so-and-so that, that's around. Um, go see them and bring them this prescription. And the prescription will pretty much say a diagnosis and unload or brace. That's pretty much all we ask for from the doctor, and we say let us do the rest. Um, because, you know, doctors might see certain brands or certain styles, but, you know, obviously we're the ones that are – paying attention to all the different brands, all the different styles. You'll come in if it's what we consider off-the-shelf, meaning it's fit to measurement, not fully custom. Um, We usually take every brace has a different criteria of measurements. Most of the time it's an upper leg measurement, a lower leg measurement, and a knee center and a knee width. And then we base that based off of their sizing. Some mix and match different sizes to different shells and stuff like that. Um, But the majority of the population fits in this off-the-shelf bracing. Um, If you don't, say you have a super cone-shaped leg, you have a massive quad, no calf at all, um, then we would do custom, and there's multiple ways to do custom nowadays. Um, The old-school way would be we would cast you. You send that cast into the manufacturer. They build the brace based off your cast. A lot of companies nowadays do scanning um, through apps, actually, most of the time. So I would have you stand in a certain position. I'd take my phone. I'd bring up the app of the brace brand that I want to use. I'd pretty much measure your knee through the app, and that data gets sent to the manufacturing company, and they would then construct the brace based off of what we're asking. Um, and then after that, you would usually it's usually a two-visit thing for osteoarthritis bracing. Um, you would come back. We would fit you. We would educate you on the fitting process, the adjustment process, the slow, uh, slow and go process, and then you know you would follow up with us as needed.
Yeah. So the question is on staffing and how, how do we staff our things? So, um, as far as orthotics and prosthetics go, it depends on what you're looking for, for a degree. So, um, you may encounter one of two types of people in, in a clinic. You may encounter what's called a certified orthotist or a certified prosthetist and orthotist. There are schools all over the country for that. Um, those are the people that do the fully custom building of these things or the prosthetic side of things. So when you're actually building an entire leg for veterans and stuff like that, um, Yes, there are p- plenty of people going to school for it. It is a shrinking profession in the sense of um, insurance and Medicare and everything has a big role in us. And so um, institutionally, we're very protected because UCSF is great at that. Um, but um, other places can have struggles with it. Um, as far as our profession, athletic trainers, so UCSF actually does something very unique. We, they actually hire certified athletic trainers, which is what the three of us are, to do this specific work. Um, we're actually, like, in general, what we most commonly see us is when somebody gets hurt on TV, we're that first person out to that injured athlete. Um, again, we have schools all over the country. We have a certified program we go through. We have a board exam, a, a national board exam we sit for. Um, UC took a step in bringing us into the orthotics and prosthetics world because we're educated in injury, we're educated in anatomy. Really, they only had to train us in bracing. Um, So you go to what's called a certified fitter of orthotics schooling. Um, So you take classes on it. There's um, schools all over the country that you can go to their class and then you sit for a certification exam and then move on. Um, We've been very fortunate to be able to staff our clinics. but that's because we took a little bit different route. At other clinics, I think it may be a little more difficult, mainly because um, they're looking for different people to hire rather than people that are 95% along the way as far as training goes like we are. And then really, we just educate ourselves on the actual braces that need to be fit. So um, it's, we're kind of a unique setting here at UCSF. Well, thank you all so much for coming. We really appreciate it, and we hope you enjoyed this today. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.